Welcome to Bankless, where we explore the frontier of internet money and the internet finance. And sometimes that frontier of internet money is found at a conference, which is why last weekend I flew out to Tel Aviv, Israel, to attend the Starkware Sessions, a two-day event hosted by Starkware to bring the greater Starkware and Starknet ecosystem together to meet, learn, discuss, and build the future of Starknet. And as you might be able to tell, I have totally lost my voice from doing all of these interviews that I've brought back to share with you all here in the Bankless Nation. I personally wanted to go to the Starkware sessions because my understanding and comprehension of the Starkware ecosystem is not as strong as my understandings of other parts of the Ethereum ecosystem. And this makes sense when you learn about the design choices that Starkware has made. They've built their own developer language and their own virtual machine instead of using Solidity and the EVM like most other Layer 2s and other Alt-Layer 1s out there. Why did they do this? What benefits does that bring? How much friction does that make for developers? How do StarkNet developers feel about the protocol they're building on? How much ownership does the StarkNet community feel about the platform that they're all creating together? These questions and many more are the questions that I sought answers for during my short time in Tel Aviv and why I wanted to go to Starkware sessions in the first place. And I certainly feel like I've got these questions answered. But instead of just telling you what my conclusions are, instead, I'm bringing back nine interviews I did with various stakeholders and builders of the StarkNet ecosystem so you can conclude for yourself what you think about what's being built over on the frontier of Stark World. I interviewed Uri Kolodny and Ellie Bansassen, the founders of Starkware, and who I'm warmly calling the dads of StarkNet, and I asked them about their perspectives of the network that they have spawned here. And by network, I don't just mean protocol, I also mean community. Both Uri and Ellie understand that what they've built has become much more than just a technology. It's also become a movement, which has been exemplified by the community that has come to surround them. I also interviewed a governance steward who's a member of the Starkware Foundation, but who's more part of the StarkNet community than the Starkware team. And I asked him about how he thinks the future of StarkNet community ownership will play out. I did two interviews about smart contract wallets and account abstraction, Madi from Bravos and Yoav from the EF, so you'll learn about the frontier of smart contract wallets in these interviews as well. I also interviewed the Sysmo team, who's building an identity and privacy system using zero-knowledge proofs. I talked to Cartridge, a platform that's building the building blocks that all StarkNet game developers will need. There's also Herodotus, who's building out what's called storage proofs, which opened up my brain to a world of possibilities I didn't think possible. I interviewed Only Dust, which if you're a developer looking to get started making money developing on StarkNet, definitely listen to that interview. I talked to the StarkNet ID team, StarkNet's native identity system, and also interviewed Ignoyama, who's building out ZK-proof chips to ensure that individuals can run ZK-proofs themselves at home, much like the same ethos of Ethereum staking. I hope you enjoy all of these interviews, At Bankless, we try and bring the frontier of crypto to you in a fun and digestible content format. And I hope that's what I've done here. None of these interviews are longer than 20 minutes. So for those of you that can't keep up with the fire hose of Bankless content, maybe these shorter interviews are just a little more digestible. And of course, if you have specific questions about my experiences at the Starkware sessions or about any of the interviews that you're about to listen to, hop into my Q&A channel inside of the Bankless Nation Discord. This channel is dedicated to asking me directly any questions that you may have about any of the content that you hear on Bankless. So if you're a premium subscriber, make sure you're in the Discord so you can have access to that channel. If you've got a question that you want to ask, feel free to drop it in my channel because I basically live in there these days. So without further ado, let's get into my interviews from the Starkware session, starting with Uri Kolodny and Ellie Ben Sassen, the founders of Starkware, or what I'm calling the Stark Dads. But first, a moment to talk about these fantastic sponsors that make all of these interviews possible. All right, Uri and Ellie of Starkware, the founders of Starkware. The first question I want to ask you guys 
is, uh, I mean, you guys are big into math, big into all of this stuff that really makes blockchains up and run. But the thir- first thing that I noticed while we're here at Starkware Sessions is that this is, um, this kind of starts to feel like its own network state, to use Bology's words. Like, there is a community of people here that feel empowered and have agency over building the system of StarkNet. So my first question to you guys is, is this what you guys expected when you first started along this journey long, long time ago? Uh, I, for one, had no understanding or expectations in this regard. My my uh, sort of initial impetus, you know, coming into this was uh, actually around verifiable computation. And as someone who actually required, Ellie alluded to this on say, I, it took me years to sort of under, appreciate the value of that. I still see tremendous value of that. But uh, this whole social dimension of uh, of Starknet, uh, I would not have known to dream up something so as beautiful as as we have here. I, it's just we're very fortunate, to, you know, to have it. My answer would be yes and no. Yes, in the sense that um, it was always clear to us that this is a transformational technology that will, you know, conquer the world. Mm-hmm. We didn't know. And we still don't know whether Starkware will be, you know, able to best monetize it. Maybe someone that comes later on or whether we're going exactly down the right route. And so it was very clear to us from the start that this is, you know, going to conquer the world. Now, no, in the sense that the particulars of how it like is evolving is like, it's, it's so hard to predict. I don't know. If, for us like any of this but it's so much fun and it's so uplifting to see this independence like this which also comes with like this losing control over this thing right. this is like it's like a child it's way bigger mm-hmm. than 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 what we could conceive of mm-hmm. The, when I first got into Tel Aviv, I immediately went over to the hacker house to see what all the hackers were building. And the first thing that happened was uh, a governance workshop where two members of the uh, StarkNet Foundation uh, sat everyone down, sat down on the ground, you know, like crisscross, le- crisscross their legs, and, were, they, and answered questions about governance. Uh, but it really seems to be in the early days of StarkNet governance as there isn't really like people are learning how to govern not really there's no governance roadmap and it's something that really the community has to come together to determine how are you guys seeing these conversations progress both from your, the from the starkware side of things and how are you, how are the developers of starknet like auto organizing themselves i would like to say that i know enough and am in some sort aware or on top of some of these things but the frank answer is no, I, I, I don't have enough, uh, like time and, um, presence of mind to, uh, even learn and follow all that's going. But I have a very deep trust and conviction in, um, you know, I believe this community will transcend, um, the way like governance is done today on blockchain because there's much to hope for. Mm-hmm. And I have, Good feelings about it, but I'm not. I, on top the, of it. the uh, I'm not fully up to speed on this stuff. But the last at last count, I knew of I think 93 delegates. Uh, for you know, for for Starknet people presenting themselves as, as as delegates, and that's an amazing number in my opinion for something so nascent. Um, and I probably don't know, you know, the vast majority of them, 
which is wonderful. Um, so, you know, I think it's off to a promising start. There's a ton of work ahead and a ton of experimentation and invention in this regard, in this dimension. I'm sure there are a bunch of ideas in the ecosystem that we can build on and learn from and, and probably maybe, you know, variations on various themes. Um, and we look forward to that. I think that's exciting work. And uh, I was watching your guys' uh, opening statements this morning and, and your opening talk about how we got here in the world of Starks and, and all of this uh, crazy math, which breaks my brain. And it's very clear that both of you have a very strong understanding of math and cryptography and some of the deep underlying technologies. But no one has an understanding of governance. Like, it's almost an impossible thing to understand. And I actually kind of think that's perhaps to the best for StarkNet, as in, if you guys had a grasp on governance as you did on math, it would be a little bit more top-down when it needs to be a little bit more chaotic and bottom-up. Uh, do you guys have any, any thoughts about that? I, I want to say that, um, okay, blockchain is relatively new, mm -hmm. and because of that, blockchain governance is still fumbling around a little bit. Right. But the nice thing is that humans have been dabbling with governance for, right. you know, since ever. Mm -hmm. And there are things like, you know, corporations, there are democracies, there are open source projects that are very inspiring and amazing. So I hope that the StarkNet governance takes a little bit from these um, well-established and successful models, you know, things that resemble corporate governance, open source projects, uh, democracy of uh, various source, representative democracies and things like that. And then, of course, um, imbue in it uh, the, the whatever is new in, in blockchain, which do, does operate differently. But there is... There are precedents to take from and be inspired by, and I hope we'll, I hope whoever's doing the governance will will take that. The 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 thing that I find most interesting and most challenging, um, also most menacing in real life in the context of democracies, is finding this balance between, in a democratic sense, giving everyone a voice, yet allowing experts to have their proper say and the ability to. To control all sorts of, of very fine sort of human interactions from sort of falling off the cliff. And I He's think. Speaking it, about current Israeli the politics. <laughs> and, and, and I, and I think that, um, finding that balance is, is, is a huge challenge and maintaining that balance as we see right. mm -hmm. is made perhaps an even bigger challenge. So yeah, a lot of work ahead of us. Uh, how many people have come out to the Starkware sessions? Do you guys have those numbers? I don't know exactly uh, because there are multiple events, etc. But I think right. somewhere between eight eight hundred and a thousand people uh, for a bunch of different events. Uh, some of us, uh, well, organized by a whole bunch of uh, what coalesced around this is this ETH Tel Aviv uh, right. thingo uh, with uh, uh, Fireblocks and a bunch of other companies, uh, and we're happy, very happy to sort of see this whole thing, this whole week, sort of come to life. And it, by the way, I, I don't know if. When this is going to come out, but but if anyone has a chance to go to the hacker house, that's complete insanity. Just just the 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 energy is the air is is uh, it, there's electricity in the air. I really urge you to go there. So if uh, 800 to 1,000 ish people came out, I'm going to guess 80 to 90 percent of them are very technically minded, and that is um, probably what every single developer ecosystem looks for to generate inside of their own. Like that's a success metric. So first off, congratulations on all the success. Thank you. What did Starkware and what has StarkNet done well that produced that outcome? What, what, what are your guys' strengths that allowed so many people to come out all the way out to Tel Aviv to attend this conference? Um, 
Well, I, I think two things. In terms of tooling, I think the emphasis on saying, yes, there's something very appealing and very exciting about the math, but at the end of the day, we're here to serve developers and we need to offer them the tools that make them happy. And Cairo 1.0 is right around the corner and that's a huge draw for a lot of this crowd. I think that's one thing. And the other thing I think is, is actually not technical, is social. There's some, something, uh, authentic that people feel and they're drawn to. And, and there's a virtual cycle around that authenticity. And, and I'm very happy it's, it's, uh, sort of, uh, unfolding this way. I'll add to that that, um, Starkware and its technology are, we keep saying this all the time. We're not about hype, but we really, you know, it's the real thing and developers recognize that. What do I mean? It's the real thing. We actually ship the things we say we're going to ship and they actually work very well from the point of view of developers. And they are, you know, they exist there. They're not just tweets. They're not just, you know, test nets that take forever to get to the next stage. These are working things and developers sense that. And at the same time, it's very new, but I think developers, they also sense that this is a technology that really can really, really scale uh, through fractal scaling and layer threes and recursion. And there's a lot of room for expansion. So they, they want to be part of that. One of the things I'm noticing is that there's starting to be some stratification in the Starkware ecosystem. Uh, and I'm not technically minded, so I'm doing my best to understand how this goes. But there seems to be people who are really interested in the protocol design of StarkNet and all of the associated things about that, sequencing, like uh, all blockchain, all that kind of stuff. And then there's app developers in Cairo on top of those. And those seem to be the two main camps of people that have auto-organized uh, are there any, are there any other camps that I'm missing in the Starkware ecosystem and how do you see this playing forward into the future? Um, I think that around layer three, there's sort of a, a community forming. I think that around the whole programming languages dimension of it, of Cairo 1.0, there's, uh, like a sub community forming. Um, yeah. And the, the, the nice thing to see is how these things sort of, they coalesce of, of their own, uh, Accord to the DAP developers, which are usually small projects and the infrastructure developers, I would add the businesses. So, you know, Visa's use of StarkNet for account abstraction is an example of like an enterprise as big as it gets that is looking into this. They're not the only ones. There are a lot of, there are multiple, you know, banks who have sent here their, you know, innovation teams to look at what's going on. So that's like a third category that is, you know, inquisitive about this technology. Yeah, there, there was a conversation yesterday between uh, the blockchain lead for a, a big uh, credit card company that I will uh, leave unnamed, and uh, and uh, Terence of Cartridge about you know the work they've they've been doing around account abstraction, you know, and, and I told them that, that Cartridge is closing the gap with the you know b- building on Starknet etc., but the gap between blockchain technology and stuff that that our parents can use, and uh, and that's a big deal. I was talking to uh, the BD guy over at Starkware, Starknet, uh, about the the Visa use of uh, Starknet for account abstraction. And he was joking about how he didn't, of all the BD that Starkware has done, Visa chose Starknet of their own accord. Uh, what yeah, were the yeah. conversations like when you guys heard that news uh, from the Starkware team? 
So uh, maybe this goes to this point around authenticity, right? That that you can sort of uh, force your way into sort of uh, press releases and literally buy uh, sort of uh, the, the the interaction and and pulling people onto your ecosystem, or something can happen in a more uh, sort of authentic and organic fashion. And when it does, it may take slower. You know, it, it's slow. It's 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 slower. It's it's uh, it's harder. But when it happens, there's something more uh, sort of stable about it. It's a, it's a solid foundation to build on. So the, the application layer on top of StarkNet is starting to really come alive. And there are some categories that I'm start, starting to see play out. There's uh, just, of course, the, the world of account abstraction. But that's just a means to an end for you know more usage, right? So the gaming ecosystem on Stark, StarkNet is starting to become pretty alive. Um, what, are, what are some use cases that you guys are seeing that perhaps intrinsically interest you? Like, uh, what, what's your favorite use case on, on the StarkNet ecosystem right now? I, I would, uh, I don't know if it's going to be the one that is like, you know, the killer app, the crypto kitties, right. if you will, of StarkNet, but it's one I would really like to see pushed more. It's the whole social network and proof of identity mm-hmm. and bringing the humans, you know, through reputation, credit scores, uh, you know, I own my data right. because I think Really, if the end, so, you know, we started with proof of work, then there's proof of stake. But if you think about it, the, really, the end point you want is you want like one person, one vote as, as an infrastructure layer of blockchains. And even we need to head in that direction. So it's going to take a while and we want to do so in a decentralized way, right? Without governments and, you know, KYC things. Um, but anything that has to do with like you, are the master and owner of your information and your history and you attest to your credit and worthiness, I would love to see those things. That's my favorite. I share the sentiment I, uh, around things supporting sort of broad reach social interaction and, and, and coordination. Meaningful problems that are, have yet to be solved in the real world, I think uh, I, I'm eager to see that play out. So if we were to go back to 2013, 2015, when like the early Starkware, um, just foundations were set, I kind of would, exp- I would always ask my, my guests a similar question. If the roadmap for, for Starkware, Starknet was maximally successful, what would it look like? I kind of imagine this might actually be what it, what would that answer look like back in 2013, 2015, where you have a thousand devs coming all the way to Tel Aviv to take part in these conversations. But let's extend that forward. So we're in 2023 now. What does the maximally successful roadmap for StarkNet look like if we go into 2028? Um, you know, the problem with me is, is I lack imagination in a very sort of extreme <laughs> way. So I, I, the only thing I can do is sort of take some recent activity and sort of multiply that. So like the StarkNet CC events, which are community organized, there have been two, about 500 participants in each one. In 2028, I suspect they're going to be Many of these all over the world, they're going to be sort of like open sourced in, a, in, a, in the sense that, that, uh, the only dust team and no guardian teams that organize this, I think are going to sort of open it up to other community members to organize these events. And I expect we're going to see these as sort of coordination and networking events all over the world. And as Ellie said on stage this morning, the, the, the face to face interaction, uh, there's something very, very powerful about it in terms of enhancing uh, interactions. So I, I expect we're going to see that in a massive way. My hope for 2028 is, okay, like number-wise, I have no doubt that this number 1,000 now in 2028 is 
10,000 or more. Uh, you can, you know, quote me on that and like, I, I w we'll talk in 2028, hopefully. So let's see where we are. Um, so number wise, I have no doubt that this is going to like really, really, uh, explode, uh, which is good. But at the end of the day, blockchain is a technology that enables social functions, social goods. So I would really love to see um, Starknet blossoming into this layer that is dominated not by the developers, but by people who are socially active and socially aware and want to take it a step further for the betterment of society, right? So like, again, things like voting systems, reaching consensus on stuff that really matters, human rights or that's what I'd like to see in 2028. Now, maybe 2028 is a bit too soon for that, but I think that's where really, where it really should be heading. Sure. Well, of course, uh, everything about crypto is always early. Uh, so maybe the conversations start in 2028, and then in 2038, yeah. uh, that's when it actually happens. Probably. Uh, so uh, <laughs> as, as all ecosystems that start to grow into themselves, uh, the original parents of them probably get confused by some of this weird stuff that's going on. Because that's just what they do. The, the bird has started to leave the nest, and that's definitely what we're seeing here. So what, what are you two focused on on a day-to-day -day basis? What's a day in the life of Uri and Ellie? Um, well, my, okay, there's before uh, Uri uh, dropped off the map, and there's after. So after is very clear to me. I'm just like, you know, how do you say, like, trading, try to keeping my uh, head o above the water and, like, uh, dealing with stuff. Uh, I used to have a bit more time to properly try to think about certain things and get involved in like, uh, the material, like thinking about governance or, you know, tokenomics or, uh, uh, so when he comes back, which is going to be soon, uh, I'll do a bit more of that, mm -hmm. but now it's just, uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm on a medical leave of absence. I hope to be back soon. Um, before that, I was sort of, uh, well, a bunch of things, uh, sort of making sure trains run on time in a broad sense and doing my best to attract talented people to join Starkware in the ecosystem and, um, and, and a fair bit of just making sure information flows, meaning someone talks to you and you say, ah, you should talk to X about that. Do you know that they're also working on something like this? And so a fair bit of that just sort of as a, a router of, uh, of information mm -hmm. in the company and in the ecosystem. Uri loves this quote, 90% of life is just showing up. Mm -hmm. So I think that's just, you know, connecting things, pushing something like this sort of very prosaic, non, uh, how to say it, non like, uh, not terribly glamorous. Yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, but like that's 90% yeah, of, yeah, yeah. uh, of what goes on sure. in life. And uh, just for the added context, Uri, you, you opened up the, the Starkware sessions with uh, you, you, you both, of course, the two founders on stage to, to talk about like, oh, there was an unexpected medical emergency that I've had to attend to. So which is not to say that the founder has dropped off as like, no, this is a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, something else. Uh, but what was your reaction to the 
Uh, so like tri- moments like this trigger reflection and trigger like learnings, and all of a sudden you're able to look at the Starkware, Starknet ecosystem from a different perspective. What was your learnings in those moments as you had to step away as you were viewing Starknet from a, a more of a distance? The, the decision to go on a leave of absence was reached within minutes because, frankly, it's it wasn't only an emotional need; it was a very very practical need for my family. Um, I'm insanely fortunate in the sense that the Starkware is made up of uh, just a, a crazy number of talented and capable people, and and we've succeeded in building a culture where uh, the system, the human system, can absorb this kind of shock in a very trivial fashion, and. You know, often in startup land, you say, you know, Ellie was referring, you know, what happens if you get hit by a bus? This was, for me, as close as it ever got to a bus. And the organization just uh, operated in the smoothest of fashions. And, and you know, looking back sort of, of uh, 20-some years of entrepreneurship, this is probably the one thing I, I'm most proud of, that it was put to this stress test and it passed in flying colors and uh, and it may sound ironic why are you so proud of the fact that you know this ship can continue without you without even blinking and I don't know the answer to that is I don't know why but I, it's just I'm I'm bursting with pride well it's very cool you guys have certainly built a very alive ecosystem which is the the one key success indicator that we look for in this space um as I watched you two uh, open up this uh, the the conference, uh, I was just struck by how you guys just seem like age old college roommates. You guys have been I don't know working with each other for decades now, uh, and you guys even look like each other at this point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's what's that been like having a second half to, throughout all this? So journey? yeah, we're, we we're it's a little disturbing the number of people <laughs> who say that we look alike. Um, yeah, we, we've known one another for many, many, many years. It has made a, a remarkable number of situations. It's turned them from challenging to trivial on the business front, on personal stuff, on every, every dimension of, of this story. Uh, we've worked very closely over the past five years. We've been friends for many years, but we haven't worked this closely, I guess, since the late 80s. So... I'll add to that that, um, so first of all, um, well, you know, now that he's on leave of absence, so like, you know, when we're together, first of all, we fight and bicker a lot and um, on like a whole bunch of things, professionally, you know, ego things on like, uh, you know, matters of style. Um, but I know what I'm saying is also true for, for Uri, like, I have the utmost respect for him as, you know, as a professional and as a smart person. And no less important than that, just like, and I said this for him from day one, and I'll say it, I'm sure, till the rest of my life. As I am sure that the sun will rise tomorrow, I know that I can trust him at at a very deep level. Like, you know, we fight, we argue. There's a lot of things we disagree about, but like at a very fundamental level, you know, our technology is about integrity but in humans, you cannot replace integrity with any kind of math. So you need to have this like relationship of trust and just at a very deep level, um, he's worthy of trust. 
I, yeah, I, I, I can, I can only, uh, it's, it's really funny how, how in this trustless universe, at the end of the day, in order to, to do what we're doing, it's based on very deep human trust, but there's an abundance of that here. So. Well, Ellie, Uri, uh, you guys, I think, exude some of the principles, the deep first principles thinking that really is important in this space. And I'm glad that there's two of you to, to carry this ecosystem forward. And so thank you for everything you're doing to thank contribute. You, David. Thank, thank you, you for David. coming out. Cheers. Thanks. In this episode from Bankless's Starkware session series, I'm interviewing Madi, the CEO and co-founder of Bravos, which is one of the two main smart contract wallets in the Starknet ecosystem, the other one being Argent. Now, if you understand smart contract wallets, you'll know that eventually this paradigm of externally owned accounts, which is probably the wallet that you use if you use Ledger or a MetaMask, is not long for this world. Whereas 99% of wallets these days are probably externally owned accounts, Eventually, once we crack the smart contract wallet nut, 99.9% of all wallets out there will be smart contract wallets. The potential that these wallets have will break your brain in terms of what they can do for the world. And so I'll let your imagination run with this interview from Monty. But first, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make these episodes possible. All right, Bankless Nation, we are here at the Starkware Sessions once again, and I'm talking to Monty of Bravos. What's Bravos? Bravos is uh, the richest and most powerful city in all seven kingdom. <laughs> well, what are you working on? Uh, so in Bravos, we are working on a smart contract-based wallet on top of Starknet, taking full uh, utilization uh, on account abstraction, and uh, really want to drive uh, UX forward to bring the next cohort of uh, users into crypto. Okay, so smart contract wallet, account abstraction. For people that don't really know these terms, uh, where should we start? So uh, you can think about account abstraction and smart contract-based wallets as uh, as synonyms. It's not technically accurate, but I think that uh, in a high level it's accurate. And uh, think about account abstraction as something that divides your uh, your wallet, your account, into two two parts. You have the application parts, like in all normal wallets that uh, that you know, and you have the account contract on chain that can run uh, arbitrary logic on your transaction. Now, every transaction that is signed on your application is go- going through uh, the account smart contract. Uh, and that's, that is very powerful because we can add uh, custom signature verification logic and we can add custom execution logic and we can really uh, enable uh, functionality that, uh, uh, that you couldn't do before on, uh, on blockchains. The metaphor that I've used to explain this to people is that the, the wallet that they're typically used for if they're signing with a MetaMask or a Ledger is called an externally owned account, which is another just like not helpful term to describe what's going on here. Yeah. But that's what it is. Uh, and uh, this is like an externally owned account is like Bitcoin, whereas a smart contract wallet is like Ethereum. Uh, but these are for wallets. And so your externally owned account is kind of like a dumb input-output wallet. And then your smart contract wallet is like a programmable bank account. It's a programmable wallet. And like, why is that hard to explain? Well, because the limitations are endless. And so like, where do you even start? Uh, and, but, um, the other way that I would describe this is like a smart, a smart contract wallet or account abstraction is like a virtual wallet. As in, we have different ways of accessing this virtual wallet, but the wallet itself exists inside of Ethereum rather than an externally owned account comes from a private key that is external. 
to to the actual uh, blockchain because like a private key actually does not exist on a blockchain. Only the uh, public address does. Uh, do all these metaphors line up? What would you add to this? Yes, definitely, definitely. And uh, uh, maybe an interesting fact that uh, on Starknet, your uh, public key is actually not your address. Mm. So uh, since uh, you can only access the Starknet blockchain through account abstraction to smart contract uh, accounts, then you have the account smart contract address, which is your account address. And the public key is just a storage inside of that. So the public key, unlike Ethereum, is not uh, your address. And uh, that uh, gives you a lot of flexibility because you can use different public keys. You can add more signatures, more signers uh, uh, into your account. And that's actually what we do in, uh, in Bravos. Okay, so let's. Um, I want to unpack that a little bit. You, I don't have with a smart contract wallet. I don't have one public address. I have many. No. So you have one public address. Okay. But you can have multiple signers. Multiple signers. Okay. How does a signer come to be? So, uh, if I would present what we call Bravo's account abstraction sure. security pyramid, uh-huh. uh, then uh, we can see a hierarchy of uh, security measures that the the user, yeah. like in a buffet, can decide. Uh, to activate. So at the, at the very bottom, we have uh, the notorious seed phrase that we all know and right. uh, don't don't love so much. And it, that that is the externally owned aspect of this thing. That's uh, the seed phrase that uh, we derive the keepers, the private okay. key and the public key. Right. And that's that's uh, the corresponding of an externally owned account that uh-huh. we know from uh, from Ethereum. Okay. Uh, but but again, the the public key here is not your address. Right. Your account smart contract is right. your address. Right. Okay. Uh, and on top of that, the user can add uh, a more advanced signers that uh, will give uh, better UX and much uh, uh, much better security. So one of the things that we've released uh, uh, about two three months ago is something that we call the hardware signer. Mm. And the hardware signer uses the security chip that we have in our mobile devices in order to right. generate keys and sign transactions. Uh, and that's uh, that's really cool because that makes hardware wallet redundant. You get the security of a hardware wallet uh, by the device that you already have. So for, for people who don't know, in modern phone, let's say all iPhones and most advanced uh, uh, latest Android phones, we have a dedicated security chip inside the phone, which is right. completely uh, isolated from the regular application processor. Right. Uh, and it's uh, uh, it's very hard to break. Even if your phone get hacked, your phone get rooted, uh, hack, uh, an attacker won't have access to uh, to the keys that resides in this uh, mm-hmm. uh, security chip. And we utilize that together with the power of account abstraction in order to generate keys and to sign your uh, your transactions. Now. I think that the, the the cool thing is you can ask why why no blockchain has done that before, mm-hmm. like it's uh, you know if it's so secure and uh, and it's it's very easy in terms right. of UX because you sign transactions like you uh, use Apple Pay or Google Pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so the the reason that uh, no blockchain has done that before, at least no popular blockchain, and it can be done not on Ethereum, not on Bitcoin, not even on Starknet itself, is because the security scheme that we have in this mobile chip is not compatible with a, a signature scheme that we have on blockchain. And this is just like the EDECSA signature scheme. It just doesn't work in the chip. It's just like incompatible. Exactly. It's okay. incompatible. But since we have a account abstraction and we have arbitrary verification logic, then we can code the, the signature verification logic that we want. And that's exactly what we did. We coded the verification logic that is corresponding with, uh, with uh, uh, the security chip that we have in our phones. 
and that gives you gives you a, a very high level of uh, of security. Actually, it gives you two-factor authentication. If you think about that, since the keys are generated within this secure enclave, within this secure chip, uh, they are unknown. The private key is unknown to anyone. It uh, it is unknown to the to the application. It is unknown to the operating system. It is unknown to the user. So the user doesn't have the private key. Uh, uh, so it's binded to the device, and uh, uh, the other thing is that uh, it's authentic- you authenticate transactions only using your biometric, so either your face ID or your touch ID, uh, and also your biometric authentication works directly with the security chip. So again, even if your device get hacked and an attacker get roots on your device, they cannot steal your keys and they cannot sign transactions for you. So uh, I call it that's a great combination of. Uh, um, I say UX and security because for, from user point of view, it is seamless, it is frictionless. You sign transaction the same way that you use Apple Pay and Google Pay, uh, but under the hood, you get uh, uh, the strongest level of security. And you also just give users assurances because it's they're signing a transaction going through the same process that they're already familiar with on their phone. And so, like, I pay with Apple Pay all the time. I go through the New York subway. I use Apple Pay. I pay for my coffee with Apple Pay. And, like, making transaction signing also with that same, like, oh, like, there's a smiley face and it just gave me the checks, the, the thumbs up. That feels good to me as a normal consumer. It's just like, this is a process that I'm familiar with. Exactly. It's completely frictionless. Uh, if you try it, when you try it, you will see that it is exactly like you pay for uh, a ticket on the subway. And so the, the UX that, of course, we need uh, to actually have, uh, you know, adoption at, at grand scales. And so I remember um, uh, longtime Bankless listeners might remember the burner wallet where you just, like, log into, like, uh, xdi.org or something, and then, boom, you have a wallet. Like, that automatic process is, is kind of that UX that we really need in order to be able to put private keys in people's hands. Yeah. I want to ask you about, like, signers. So we have this virtual wallet. It's got a, it's got a contract address, and that is our wallet. But there can be multiple signers who can access that wallet. Yes. Can we, can you unpack that a little bit? How does that work? Yeah. So, uh, for example, we, we've added the hardware signer, which is, uh, an additional signer on top of the seed signer, on top of the key that is derived from the seed. And, and once we added the hardware signer, uh, the seed signer doesn't do anything. Meaning, even if an attacker, uh, uh stole your seed, phishing attack or malice software or whatever, they cannot issue a transaction uh, uh, on, on behalf of your account. The only thing that they can do is they can issue a transaction with a time delay to remove the hardware signer. And the reason that we support that is if your device gets stolen or if your device gets bricked, we still want you to be able to gain control back of your account. But uh, for for an attacker, uh, uh, they will need to wait this time delay period, and in, in this time, you will understand that someone uh, stole your seed, and you can uh, move your funds uh, to a secure place. So, is the the seed signer is that like the the master account, as in the place where the smart contract wallet is incepted from? Yes, it's, yes. it's I, I call it a and that, so, that's a why soft, it's at the base of the pyramid, right? Yes, I call it a soft master. A soft master, right? Yes, a soft master because once the hardware signer is enabled, the hardware signer is like the master. The hardware right. signer can, uh, uh, because we consider it to be uh, fully secure, the hardware signer can run over anything that the seed phrase right. is, is trying to do. But that's not all. So uh, hardware signer is is as we said, extremely secure and a, mm-hmm. a great combination of UX and security. Mm-hmm. But let's say that you have uh, uh, a lot of money in your uh, uh, in your account, and you want to be extra secure. And you, 
normally you don't use this account on a daily basis, but this is like your hodling account. Mm -hmm. So we allow you to add a second signer, mm -hmm. which means that you will have the hardware signer as well as uh, an additional signer, and you will need two signatures right. in order to execute a transaction on-chain. Mm -hmm. And we call that, the. this is on the top of the pyramid, this is the multi-hardware signer. Okay. So, for example, you will sign a transaction on your browser extension, mm -hmm. Bravos Bravos extension, right. and then it will automatically redirect you to uh, your Bravos mobile wallet, and you sign there, and only once both transactions are signed, then the uh, uh, transaction will uh, actually executed, uh, will be executed on-chain. And so this is an example of the expressivity of smart contract wallets or virtual wallets. And, uh, and so we have this seed phrase signer, which is where the smart contract wallet originates from. It is the private key that creates the whole thing in the first place. But then once that, and that's like the, what you call the soft master, but you can actually create a smart contract wallet using that soft master. But then that smart contract wallet can revoke permissions from the originating seed phrase, which is why we call it soft, as in like we've taken away the power of the thing that created it. And then you can add on a second signer and say, well, this new account has these new, these permissions. And actually those new permissions can be greater than the uh, power of the account that made it in the first place, the soft master. And then you can start to add in a third device or a fourth device. And each one of these uh, ex like um, d uh, signers can have rules, arbitrary rules applied to them. And this is what you're talking about, again, at the top of the pyramid. We have a, a hardware multi-signer, which in parentheses 3FA, as in three-factor authentication. Exactly. As in certain rules that need multiple signers in order to sign off on in order to execute something. Yeah. And so these are all examples of like, this virtual wallet, the smart contract wallet, that can have arbitrary rules about external signers, and that can be anything. Yes, and and more than that, I, I want to emphasize two things. One, uh, an account can be born, can be deployed on chain already with an hardware 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 signer built in. So uh, uh, none of the transaction will be signed by the seed phrase uh, key uh, uh, in, in no time. Uh, so, so that's that's uh, that's one thing that I think uh, is is very interesting. And more than that, the second thing that uh, uh, that we can do is uh, not uh, uh, having these functionalities on uh, separate accounts. We can have them uh, according to uh, your transaction value or to your daily limit that you want to set. So, for example, let's say uh, that you have a threshold of one hundred dollars. You say one hundred dollars. I don't care which signer signs. Uh, up to uh, $1,000, I want the hardware signer. Above $1,000 a day, I want to have uh, two signers. So I want to have three-factor authentication. I want to be uh, authenticated by something I know, something I am, and something I have. And this is why this is like a programmable bank account. Like, what do you want? Because any input can become a rule into this virtual virtual wall, this virtual bank account that we've created. How How far can this really go? Can this go to the point of like, um, something of a rule of like anyone that has a particular NFT in their wallet can execute some particular th rule inside of my smart contract wallet. And so like maybe I have a smart contract wallet and if you have a crypto dick butt NFT, I'll allow you to do something in my wallet, whatever that may be. Is that possible? Exactly. So the, the cool thing about smart contract-based wallet and account abstraction is that you can have an arbitrary logic on any transaction. So whatever you can imagine, we can code and it can be implemented. 
And that's really like taking, uh, I think, the, uh, uh, the, the crypto user experience to, to the next level, both in terms of functionality, but I think more important in, in, terms, of, in terms of simplicity. We want to reduce the burden uh, from user's shoulders about taking care of their keys and taking care of not making even a single error uh, and all their, uh, their funds are gone, etc. And uh, uh, smart contract-based wallets like Bravos really enabled us to do that. Yeah, and I really want to impress this upon listeners that, like, this is a Bitcoin to Ethereum moment for the wallet world. Where, like, imagine if crypto was just Bitcoin, it would be much less expressive and with much less applications that are possible. And that same thing is true with the smart contract wallet world. This is goes from just having dumb input-output wallets uh, to having very expressive wallets that can literally do anything. And so the use cases that come out of this world are literally infinite. Exactly. Um, That's a great, great analogy. And my belief is all wallets going forward mm-hmm. will be smart contract based. Right. The incumbents today will transform to be smart contract based and certainly new wallets will be smart contract based because the, the level of uh, uh, functionality and UX that uh, it enables, it's, uh, it's, it's an order of magnitude better. Yeah. And just to really drive this point home, uh, let's imagine that you, the user of a smart contract wallet, you're at home. And you need to send a very large transaction, all like almost all of your money. And perhaps you have three signers. And so you're on your desktop computer because that's where we mostly do our stuff. And you process the transaction. And then a message shows up on your phone saying like, oh, this is a large transfer. You're, you need your phone to also sign off on this. So then you press approve on your phone. And then your mom calls you and says, oh, son, like I just got this message to send all of this money from your wallet to another wallet, is this you? And you're like, yeah, that's me. And then your mom also says yes, because it was so large that you needed an external like reference point. And like you, you could go off into the nth details about how far this goes. But the cool thing is, is that these are all devices. And so it's really the device that is the unique signer, no longer just like a unique private key. Exactly. And I, I think that's pretty cool. Exactly. And, and that's a very good point, because when we add a second signer, we don't add a second seed. Right. We want to get rid of the seed. For the long run, we don't want any seed. Mm-hmm. So when we add a second signer, there's still only one seed for the account. So the users still need to handle only one seed. And in the future, even that uh, uh, would be redundant. Right. And so like when lo- users write down their seed phrase, they might notice that in their ledger or MetaMask, you can keep on making new accounts over and over and over again. And so one seed phrase generates an infinite number of accounts. And these like, new accounts are like signers, right? That's what they are. Yeah. And, 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 uh, also in Bravo. So in Bravo, you can also uh, create multiple accounts. So you can have like a, an account for your, uh, daily transactions and you can have your holding account and you can have, I don't know, your NFT account and you can set different level of security to each and every account. Uh, you can put, uh, on, on one account, uh, the hardware signer and the other account, uh, the multi signer and, uh, and on the third account, you can just uh, stay with the seed. So there's a, a conversation pivoting here a little bit about uh, ZK rollups and smart contract wallets. There's a particular synergy behind the world of ZK layer twos and smart contract wallets. Can you unpack that? Why does that synergy exist? What's so special about the relationship between smart contract wallets and ZK rollups? So if we take Starknet as an example, Starknet has two very important features. The first feature is that it has or at least will have very low gas fees. And this is important because all this logic that we are talking uh, uh, talking about is very uh, heavy in terms of compute. For example, to implement this elliptic curve of uh, the mobile chipset, 
Uh, our uh, initial uh, naive uh, implementation was uh, 400,000 steps, 400,000 Kyra steps. Kyra is the programming language that we use on Starknet, like Solidity on, uh, on Ethereum. And that's, that's, a, that's a lot. Today, we released uh, an improvement of that that reduces 40% the number of steps, so uh, 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 250,000, 240,000 steps, but still a lot. So we need very low compute uh, gas price in order for that to make uh, uh, to be economically viable because we want people to use that not only for transferring millions of dollars but also you know when you, when you use the subway uh, 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 and to do this together with uh, improvement that Starknet will issue in their next version rolling out in two weeks, we will have sense of difference between using the hardware signer. And using like a, a, a regular signer, so that's one thing, the gas fees. And the second thing is that uh, on Starknet we have account abstraction built into the protocol, meaning uh, every transaction must go to an account before it interacts with other contracts on chain, before it goes to an AMM, to an NFT marketplace, to whatever. Uh, uh, and that's extremely powerful because then we can enforce all these uh, signer and all this logic that we talk about. So good, getting into Bravos more specifically, uh, other bankless listeners might be familiar with Argent. Uh, Bravos also built on the uh, Starknet, Starkware ecosystems. Uh, what are you really leaning into at Bravos? Like what are your first applications that you're trying to get integrated into your guys' wallet? So, so first of all, all the, the, the security aspects that, we, uh, that we've just discussed in the past uh, 20 minutes, the, the idea is to, uh, to make user onboarding as frictionless as possible and as secure as possible. As I said, to remove the burden from the user's shoulders to take care of security, etc., to uh, uh, be in a position that they need to order a hardware wallet, pay for that, learn how to use that, store another seed phrase, right? Uh, it's, it's like very difficult even to, for technical people, certainly for, uh, for mass market. Uh, uh, so that's one thing. Uh, the, the entire aspect around Uh, making uh, your wallet, making your account like a traditional bank, but a decentralized self-custodial bank that is completely controlled by you with a great UX. So that's one. And the second thing is the, uh, the entire aspect of DeFi. So today in Bravos, we already have exchange uh, integrated into the wallet, so users don't need to go to outside dApps in order to exchange funds. Uh, the next step will be to have, uh, I call it one-click earn yield. So you'll be able to earn yield on your assets uh, in the wallet, whether it's on Starknet or under the hood, uh, automatically bridge to the Ethereum base layer. Uh, and, uh, for example, stake your ETH on, in Rocket Pool or in Lido and, uh, 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 and earn yield. Uh, and go, going even forward, uh, enabling borrowing and lending also from within the wallet. So the goal is that uh, everyday users... Uh, users that are not crypto savvy will get uh, the full experience of crypto uh, right at their fingertips with like two taps. So if anyone in the Bankless Nation listening to this, be it uh, so they're maybe they're a developer or maybe they're just a user trying to get their hands on, on their wallet, uh, who are you guys really looking for to, to engage with? Like what relationships are you guys looking for at Bravos and how might people get started learning more? So, first of all, uh, you are welcome to our website and to our Twitter account. We share a lot of information there. Uh, uh, there is 
a lot of detailed technical kind of blog posts about the hardware signer and why is it secure and how the keys are uh, actually being generated in uh, in manufacturing process of the silicon etc etc Uh, so that's uh, one thing. We have a very vibrant uh, Discord community that uh, people are welcome uh, uh, to join. Uh, I think for us, uh, uh, w- w- there is a lot of things that in terms of the user journey and the overall UX that we can solve. Uh, one thing that is uh, really bothers me is uh, the on-ramp of, uh, of fiat money uh, uh, to, to, to crypto. I think... Uh, We as an industry need to find ways to make it much more uh, uh, much easier, much more simple. It uh, shouldn't take like half an hour with uh, all sorts of uh, IDs and pictures and proof of address, etc, etc. So today on, uh, on Bravos, we support uh, uh, several uh, on-ramp mechanisms uh, from credit card, from uh, uh, direct bank transfer. From centralized exchange, you can transfer directly to your, to your wallet and of course bridge from, uh, from other chains. Uh, but I think that this point is still, uh, with very high friction and, uh, anyone that works on interesting stuff in that area will be, will be great to cooperate. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for helping me walk through the, uh, the world of account extraction and hardware walls. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you, David. In this episode, I'm talking with Silva, who is a governance facilitator over at the StarkNet Foundation, as well as building on StarkNet with his project Brick. That's B-R-I-Q. We kick off this conversation talking about Brick, and it is composable one-of-one by units of NFTs that he hopes will be adopted by surrounding StarkNet applications. But the meat of this conversation is really all about StarkNet governance, which we turn to pretty quickly in this interview. Silva is a StarkNet governance facilitator, uh, a steward, if you will, of StarkNet governance. And this was one of the first experiences I had when I landed in Tel Aviv. I landed in uh, 10 a.m. in the morning, and I immediately walked over to the hacker house to see what the hackers were hacking on. Not too long after I got there, it was announced that a governance workshop would happen in about 30 minutes in the room next door. And so eventually people started to trickle over, and these two governance facilitators sat down, literally crisscross applesauce style, and started to talk about what was the plan for StarkNet governance and how governance would roll out. And the TLDR of that plan is that the community needs to come together and help them create a plan. And so this is why in my article, if you read this on Thursday and other areas of the uh, StarkNet sessions interviews, I talk about StarkNet as a governance platform is just learning how to stand up. But these developers are learning that not only can they do really cool things on StarkNet, but that doing cool things on StarkNet has imbued them, it, it empowered them with ownership over the protocol. So developers are learning what it means to feel ownership over StarkNet. And the StarkNet Foundation is learning how to give their developers and their protocol devs a voice and control and power over StarkNet. So we are in the very beginning days of StarkNet community governance and learning how to stand up and walk. And this is where I got a large amount of my impressions and information about overall what the community and ecosystem feels about the protocol that it's building on. I'd sum it up as excited, slightly intimidated, but very optimistic and very early, of course. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Silva from the Brick team and as well as the StarkNet 
ecosystem governance facilitators. But first, I wanted to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Bank the Station once again at Starkware Sessions in Tel Aviv, Israel. And I am here with Silf, who's got a, a couple hats on. And so we're going to talk about both of them today. One of them is Brick, and the other of them is a, a governance facilitator over at the Sark, uh, SarkNet Foundation. Uh, Silf, welcome. Nice to be here. Uh, so which one do you want to talk about first? Brick or, or your role at the Sarknet Foundation? Let's go for Brick. Brick? Okay. Alphabetical order. What's Brick? So Brick is a uh, NFT building protocol. So think Lego or a construction game, but running entirely on the blockchain. So the thing that we wanted to do is twofold. First off, we wanted to like solve composability because you have the, all these axes and they don't do anything with CryptoPunks. Now, on the other hand, we wanted to give people a way to act upon NFTs. And right now we can like buy them, consume them, but it's pretty difficult to build them. And so the thing we thought is like, okay, NFTs behave a little bit like physical items. What's the equivalent in the real world? Right. And like in the real world, people don't build stuff. They build with Lego because that's made for this. And they're composable because they're made for that. Mm-hmm. So we replicated this exact system, this composability system, but running on chain. So you got 100 bricks, you build a house. It's an NFT. Just assemble them, get 100 bricks, build something new, assemble it with someone else. It's yours. Okay, so... What, an NFT is the smallest unit of construction? Is that the idea? Yes, sir. And we're not actually talking about Legos. Is that a metaphor? Or it's a are metaphor. We, or are we actually it, talking it actually, about Legos? It looks like a voxel. So it's okay. Lego-like. Uh, but like every single brick is represented as a voxel. So you put four of them, that's a line. And this thing is an NFT. Okay. Wait, but we are literally talking about bricks. We are literally talking about bricks. Okay. Like, As, they actually look like that. Okay. <laughs> and so we're, when we're talking about compo- like composability, we are literally talking about Legos. I was upon actually talking about Legos and okay. like that. Uh, why? What can you, what, what, take us, where should our imaginations go here? Um, the way you should think about it is the very reason we built it is because we think the way people have thought about composability so far has been dead wrong. Okay. The way you should think about composability is not if you if you compare this to like a real world example, it's like oh, I want my Axie to be with a crypto bank and something happens. Mm-hmm. It's a bit the same thing as if you took like a Go piece and you put it in chess. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I have a question for you: What's the most composable game asset in the physical world? The most composable gaming asset in the physical world. Um, me. <laughs> You're like gameable. The, the, the human person, <laughs> the human player. <laughs> Close. It's a it's a deck of fifty two cards. Oh, of course. Okay, sure. Yeah. yeah and yeah. the reason it's very composable because you have like thousands and thousands of games uh-huh. all across the world that reuse that same asset is okay. because it's super dumb. Okay. It's over specified. Right. You get a color, a rank, and a type, and that's it. Right. And that's okay. just something that gets interpreted. Sure. Whereas the way we think about composability is, oh, let me actually build. 70,000 different standards that I attach to my item. Okay. And you don't interpret it. Uh, it's all okay. about building something that is underspecified and allowing people to interpret it. Okay. So it's like inverting what composability means. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, what, when, what use cases do you imagine? Or is that kind of antithetical as in like, it's the whole thing? <laughs> I think it's the whole thing. Okay. Right now we wanted to help people just build assets uh-huh. without them having to be like a software developer or a graphic designer. Mm-hmm. It's just you go and breathe that construction, you start stacking cubes and you've built something, you've built an NFT. Mm-hmm. So we have a surprising amount of like people who are like, oh, I have my kids playing brick and like build a house or something. Right. Cause that's a way for you to act upon these things. You don't need, you just need to know how to stack like uh-huh. cubes. So it's fairly easy. Is, is calling this a, a Minecraft metaphor? It is. Is, it, is that right? It is. Yeah. Okay. Is it, so how, how should people envision this? Is this supposed to be like a virtual world that I play in? That's a really good question. Um, 
we're not a game. We're not going to okay. rebuild Roblox or Minecraft. We're a protocol to help people build assets. Mm-hmm. So for instance, like for um, stock recessions, shit, where did I put it? Okay. We have a QR code that we're doing with Cartridge. You ah. just scan it and you get an NFT. Like ah. it's, a, it's a little pop that is entirely built out of bricks. Mm-hmm. That's just one thing you can do. Otherwise, you should have had like graphic designer. I just did that on the UI, ah. minted them. And so if you disassemble the pop, yeah, you got, you get your bricks again and you mm-hmm. can build like a tree house or something else. Okay. So there is a, there is a physical re- or a 3D rendering and this is a thing for me to go and play around and build and yes, construct sir. and deconstruct. Yeah. And then the individual units are actual assets yep. on Starknet. And, and everything is running on chain. Like when you're building something, uh, we actually store the shape on chain and we can make like checks and verification. So for instance, if you want like the 2D attributes, we can actually verify it on chain thanks to Starknet's computation power and the fact that it's extremely cheap. The, the construction that you've made is actually very, very, it's just flat. So it's the same thing as the deck of 52 cards. It's like you have a very simple structure. In the end, it's just like a matrix XYZ. Is there a brick there? And you build rules on top of that. Okay, so... Is this composable with broader StarkNet, or is this more siloed into its own thing? It's com- it's completely composable with the rest of StarkNet. Like we're integrated with all the different wallets. We're working with different NFT projects to work together. So think of Brick as like NFT matter uh-huh. that just helps you build stuff. Okay, so say I've got my NFT avatar. How, can my little NFT avatar like walk around the Brick world and go into a Brick house? Or, like what's going on here? So for now, it's just. An object. Okay. It's like completely static. Uh-huh. So we're not rebuilding a metaverse or anything else. Like right. we are working with metaverses so that you can break any construction that you have inside a metaverse. But mm-hmm. think of them as just like items that get reinterpreted. Okay. What are you hoping people do with brick? Honestly, uh, I want them to surprise me. Uh, to give you an idea, like we have one extremely talented uh, person who's building an entire PFP collection with bricks. Mm-hmm. It's like one little dock a day. They've been doing me for like a year now. That's the kind of stuff like, oh yeah, but like, I don't know how blockchain works. I don't know how NFTs work. So I just started using the cubes and it just clicked and it worked. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of thing I really want to, I want to see people do. Okay. This possibilities are so endless that I actually don't know how to proceed in this interview. Like <laughs> what, what other parts of this universe are, I haven't illuminated uh, yet that we should talk about. Uh, that's about that. It's uh, both extremely like simple and weirdly complex. Right. It's like you're just putting like matter on the blockchain. So it doesn't go much farther than this. It's more like a tool for imagination that you can reuse, recompose, rebuild. Um, it's just there for the taking. But of course, StarkNet uniquely enables this, right? Yeah. So we, we're one of the very early projects to launch on StarkNet. We launched in like October 21. We more or less crashed StarkNet mainnet when we launched on December 21. So that was a whole, that was a whole thing. Um, and initially we wanted to go on StarkWare, on StarkNet because I knew the StarkWare team. Uh, I worked at Azure before. I knew the team. Um, and we decided that we wanted this not running on a side chain because of bridging issues. Uh, and we very much believe in validity rollups, known as ZK rollups back in the day. Right. And the only functioning testnet was StockNet. Sure. So we just deployed. It worked. Uh, it was so early that not even like Argent, Bravo, so the other wallets were not even there. Um, and it just worked. Like the community just grew around us. There are a lot of very cool uh, on-chain gaming projects like Cartridge, uh, Realms, for instance. So it's uniquely interesting for us because the more on-chain things you have, the more it makes sense to use bricks for this. Why, why does it make sense? Can you can you for can you just unpack that a little bit more? Why does it make make sense to use? So, for the instance, bricks? let's say you build a little house with brick and you build the whole verification system to verify that it's like a game could say I will only accept 
assets that follow a certain standard. Mm-hmm. Like they have to be brown, they have to be in 2D, they have not, don't have to have that, this or that color. Uh, because we're putting all of that on chain, and these games have the power to actually use this logic on chain, okay. it just makes it like uniquely positioned mm-hmm. as uh, an asset building. Uh, okay, so I can build a particular shape of a brick thing, and other parts of the StarkNet ecosystem can accept my my shape if it works inside of their ecosystem? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. And so you're literally trying to go for the most smallest unit of composability and hoping that the rest of the ecosystem starts building stuff. Exactly. Okay. So composability just starts from like the lowest unit rather than building something that is overly complicated and try to build standards. Okay. How do I get my hands on bricks? You go and break that construction and uh, we're going to drop another collection soon. And we're working towards like fully decentralizing the protocol. So if you do something that looks like Nouns DAO, sure. so you can build bricks. Anyone is able to build a collection on top of brick. Like you have Lego Star Wars. I want to have brick nouns, uh, brick board apes, absolutely anything. Mm-hmm. So you'll be able to build bricks. You'll be able to uh, fund the DAO, choose what gets prioritized in terms of development, mm-hmm. the whole shebang. Are all the bricks the same size? Uh, yeah. Okay. What? How do you... How do you measure size? Um, think of it as like it's a resolution problem. Uh-huh. Like if you can build the same thing with like three thousand brick or just three bricks, it just okay. matter how you how you is size one, it. Is one is one brick a one by one unit? Yes, sir. Okay, it's like a voxel thing. It's like Minecraft. Cool. Okay. Okay. So one brick is one one unit. No unit. It is. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay, Sylvie, you're you're also part of the governance facilitators for StarkNet Foundation. How did you come to find yourself there, and what does that even mean? Um, if I have to be completely honest, I think it was my uh, shitposting abilities on StarkNet that got me this job. So uh, thanks, Mom. It actually worked. <laughs> um, but I've been in the ecosystem for a, a bit of time now, um, know a lot of the other builders, and so the StarkNet Foundation reached out to me and said, we're setting up... Um, to be like fully centralized, we want to have like a gradual open way uh, of doing this. So we want people from the community involved in the Stockman Foundation to shake things up towards a full on decentralization. So my capacity is that I help along with two other people, Devin and Manor, um, to help prepare the first votes on Stocknet and prepare what Stockman governance is about to be, uh, is about to be like. Okay. That. The decentralization of StarkNet is a huge topic. Uh, how does this conversation even begin? How do you even do your job? The first thing you have to keep in mind when we talk about decentralization is that you have two main components. The first one is protocol decentralization. And it's the ability for anyone to run a node, participate in consensus. So that, that's the, like the technical meaty part. Um, that's one part of the equation. The other part is... What do you, how do you choose what gets implemented in that decentralized protocol in a decentralized fashion? Uh, what do we prioritize in the roadmap? Um, what kind of updates get upgraded to production? How do we, uh, agree on like standardizations, what we call SNPs? It's like EIPs, um, on Socknet. It used to be called SIMPs, but we obviously changed that name. SNPs is a great, great SNPs way. SNPs is a yeah. great name. I just used the emoji. Yeah. I'm really happy uh-huh. about it. <laughs> BIPs is pretty good. EIPs, not so great. SNPs, I think takes the cake. It's, just the best, the, it's the best one I've I'm heard. I'm really happy about that yeah. one. Uh-huh. I'm happy we chose it. Uh, to give you an idea, like there is an ongoing SNP about should we uh, write StockNet with a lowercase n? Right. It sounds dumb, but right. it's something that we have to decide upon. So... Um, the way we're approaching it is the first phase of governance are going to be about we're going to allow token holders, delegates, uh, and everyone who's like involved in governance to choose what goes into production. So for instance, the first vote 
on Stockton will be about Stockton version 0.11. Mm-hmm. And the question is, does it go into production or not? Right. Okay, so the current round of token governance with the StarkNet token is really just uh, giving the community a voice to veto protocol upgrades, yes. which are coming from the more centralized part of the Absolutely. StarkNet ecosystem. Absolutely. It's as if we're introducing like a democratic friction in the process. In the end, it's still business as usual, as it stands today. Stockware creates the upgrades, but we're introducing this so that we actually get a warm-up. People get used to it. People can build a track record. We understand what works and what doesn't so that we can, like, let's say, move up the release stack and we can actually at some point decide what gets prioritized, get feedback very early on. And in the end, the way I think I started to better understand how governance worked when I pictured the foundation as like a government. It's like you're, but you're not managing like a country, you're managing a public good and that public good is StarkNet. And so you start to realize why it's pretty difficult because it's fairly rare that governance are created. And how do you acquire? Um, I do think that for instance, for a company, the most important thing is efficiency, but for a government, it's legitimacy. You can be slow, you can take your time, but the moment you lose legitimacy, you're just done. So that's why the Stockton Foundation has decided to be like very gradual, open and responsible in the way it's approaching governance, uh, just to make sure that we're keeping that nugget of legitimacy. And it's probably good that we're starting with things like, should we have a capital N or not a capital N? Because we're at the very beginning, right? We need the community to learn that they have a voice and be able to learn how to express that voice. Absolutely, absolutely. Just start small and then we'll just continuously increase the scope of what we want to govern about. So it's funny because the current discussions are also about meta governance. What do you govern about? What is, uh, what can you legiferate about? So it, it, it's funny because like we're basically reinventing the real. Do we need a bicameral system? Do we need a Supreme Court? Uh, how do we vote? Even the delegate system is exactly like the parliamentary system. So there's a whole range of inspirations we can we can uh, uh, we can take from. Something that's unique about Starkware is the, the, it's it's a token vote. It's on-chain governance. So the the token is the governance asset. How is the token distributed? Like where where is the token? Yes. So at the moment, it's uh, 50.1% is at the foundation. The rest is distributed between Starkware investors, Starkware and partners and core contributors. During that first phase of governance, uh, in order to make sure that a broader set of people are represented in the vote. The voting powers are going to look like a third for token holders, uh, a third for uh, core contributors, excluding Starkware, and a third for the foundation. The third of the foundation is 20%, 23% for the Builder Council, which is like a voter block of 17 builders that have been on the ecosystem for, for a long time, and 10% for delegators that the foundation is choosing. Um, what we hope to achieve this way is to attract people who want to be involved in governance and get them like training, voice their opinion, agree, disagree, how should we change things on a very limited scope at the time, but that will be gradually expanded. And so there's there's always this question of uh, people love tokens. People also love airdrops. It doesn't sound like there will be an airdrop. It will sound like if there is an airdrop, it will be because the foundation decided to do that with their own allocation, which will be something that governance determines. And so whether or not there is a StarkNet airdrop is probably going to be determined out in the public. It's probably going to be determined in a more decentralized fashion than what we're going to do right now. Um, it's not going to be StarkWare that randomly decides, like, oh, by the way, everyone gets a token and you get a token in, and so on and so forth. Um, it's going to be decided in a much more uh, 
open fashion and both for like community retributions, for partnership programs, for grants, for events, uh, the whole thing. And uh, StarkNet actually has the, the privilege of having a very vibrant and alive development community, which actually probably makes it easier to decentralize the whole system because there's actually a community of people to decentralize it to. And so <laughs> there's actually like people there to catch it on the other side. Uh, and so really, who shows up in these governance decisions, who shows up as a builder, it's probably easier to for that token distribution to start centralized and diffuse into these builders because you know who they are. They're the people here who have shown up at Starkware sessions or the people who have shown up on chain on their de- exactly, development yeah. activity. Has there, what, what kind of philosophy has arisen? I know it's in the very early days. What kind of philosophy has arisen as to like how this token becomes distributed? Is there anything there to talk about? Um, at the moment, it's actually not something I am like, currently working on. So it's not something I'm going to be very uh, useful on. But the, the one thing I actually uh, I really want to drill down about what you said is it's a very dev-centric ecosystem at the moment, but a government is made up of a whole range of diverse opinions. So we, if you haven't uh, written Cairo, it doesn't mean that you cannot become a delegate. Anyone can be involved in governance. Anyone can voice their opinion. Anyone can say, for instance, right now, there's like a group of people who want to be like, oh, I want to be able to be like an ambassador for Starknet. I want to represent it. I want to talk about it to other companies. And this is not necessarily very, it's not techy. It's not about, oh, I want to build like a Rust program or something, but it's just as important. And these are people that have to be incorporated inside the governance uh, process of the Starknet Foundation. So the, the two camps of archetypes that I've seen in the Starknet ecosystem. Oh, I'm curious to know. <laughs> yeah, it's like you, you have the protocol devs who really care about the actual Starknet protocol, how it's designed, sequencing, you know, stuff like this. The technical details, the base chain details. Uh, you would call these protocol devs, core devs on the Ethereum layer one. And then there's also, uh, so that's the first camp. Second archetype I found are the Cairo devs, application builders. Yep. And these compose most of Starkware. But I think what you alluded to is this third camp that's starting to arise is people who care about governance for governance's sake. As in like, I'm, maybe they're not even technical, but they are governors. Absolutely. And they can actually, and that is the new surface area that's been created in the Starknet ecosystem for people to arise to. Is that right? Absolutely. Uh, if you take people like such as Polinia on Twitter, uh, who keeps on repeating that he's not a technical person, but he he's a very technical person. Um, they, by the way, we don't <laughs> oh, actually, we, we don't know actually if it it's a true. he or they she. Are, they yeah, they're completely unknown. <laughs> um, this is the kind of profile that we would want to have. It's uh, even if you're not technical, uh, your area of expertise can lie somewhere else, and it is a valid opinion that has to be voiced, and it can just benefit the overall uh, community. And to your point about the uh, app builders, uh, this is why the Builder Council is mainly constituted of app builders, because we felt that the protocol devs were already well represented in the roadmap. They, they obviously they talk with the rest of the community and the app builders, but we wanted to have the app builders as more like the where the buck stops. It's like this is where governance is going to be, uh, and this is more or less who you will answer to for the technical choice that have been made up front. So this is probably a call to action for the governance minded out there that there is a lot of need for governors of Starknet. And so for those people that that sentence just uh, piques the curiosity, how can they become self-actualized? How can they find the agency? Absolutely. Start Starknet? Uh, the way to do it is to go on Starknet.io. All the blog posts about governance are over there. This is like the plan. And the next step is you go on the governance forums. Uh, the links is on the website and you will be able to see all the discussions that happen. 
from the capital N to lowercase n uh, to the, oh, should we use standard mint or something else for the consensus protocol? And if you want to apply as delegate, anyone can apply to be a delegate. There's a delegate thread post over there. You just post your profile and get started. So you've committed a certain amount of your personal energies into StarkNet. You're building brick. You're also a governance uh, facilitator. Why have you decided to give up some of your human energy to StarkNet? What about StarkNet called to you? Oh, that's a good one. Um, one, one thing I'm really proud I've done in the ecosystem is that I gave a talk in Lisbon and I came up with the sentence, uh, keep StarkNet strange. Uh, and, I, and I think that's, that's something that really resonated with me. And it's, you, you have a weird amalgamation of builders that just want to try new things. Uh, and it's extremely endearing. It's a very, I mean, there's no meme about, oh, everyone's a giga brain, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's mostly about having, um, I think it's strange people. Like they try to do things differently. There's a vibrant gaming, uh, on-chain gaming community. People are trying to do something different because they were like, even the, the thought of, oh, I'm actually going to learn Cairo, which is completely different from the, any other ecosystem and try something. Um, I think it's really what appealed to me, doing something, uh, differently. Doesn't mean that it's like completely superior or anything else. It just, I was very interested in doing something, uh, relevant and different. One thing I've noticed and, uh, one of the first experiences I had coming to Tel Aviv was going to the hacker house and have watching you lead a governance workshop. And I thought it was pretty cool when you and, uh, Devin, your, your, your co-facilitator, the first thing, I don't know if you intentionally did this, but the first thing you guys did was sit down with and cross your legs on the ground. And I thought it was very, very like appropriate for like a governance workshop. It's like, all right, everyone, like kumbaya, we're gonna like talk about governance. Uh, as- we, we've been shin posting about this for like a few weeks. Like, oh man, we did some lore about the governance. It needs to be like fun to have governance. And so I look at Devin. I'm like, I'm actually gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> so next time we're gonna have like a like a speech baton that yeah. everyone has to have. Uh, the, the talking cube. Like exactly. I, I have the time. <laughs> exactly. I'm sorry, you don't have the cube. You cannot. You cannot talk right now. <laughs> like we want to have something that is like. Working pe- that we want people to be involved in. It doesn't have to be clinical. It doesn't have to be boring. I mean, if you look at even like a history of governments or parliaments, like it's all full of like, idiosyncrasies. This is the kind of thing that we really want to replicate and have, like something that has a soul. Yeah, and and really, it was striking to me just seeing what uh, I keep on using Balaji's words, network state, in ways that I'm not sure he would have used them, but I'm using them this way. And that seems to be what we're seeing here in, in Tel Aviv at, at the Starkware sessions. It is a cultural meeting place of the network state of StarkNet. Uh, and so this thing is in its infancy. It's learning how to govern itself. It's learning how to think about itself. But that's kind of what I see today. Um, is that is that what you see? And where I, do you see this going? I completely agree. And uh, like one advice I'd give to builders or anyone who wants to be involved in, in blockchain at large is, um, if not on StarkNet, go on any layer two. I mean, that's what Vitalik said at ECC uh, last year. It was L1 is going to become simpler, more ossified, but that means that the innovation is going to get driven to the edges of the network. Uh, so that's why on StarkNet, for instance, we have like native account abstraction, and that just allows a whole bunch of things. Uh, we have a very, there's a very, very young team called the StarkNet ID who have found, found a way to like implement SBTs with account abstraction. And so they're, they're finding like all kinds of new tricks and new ways of doing it. So it's like, a way for you to make a name for yourself, uh, there's always like, oh, you, you have to be early and so on. It, it, it's more than that. It's, it's, you, you get to build something and be there, um, and make yourself heard from a, like, there, there's just so much cool stuff to build. That's what's really cool. 
Uh, so what, what are you looking forward to over the next few years over in Starknet? Um, the one thing I'm really looking forward to is seeing governance shape up, uh, seeing more people stepping in, seeing how we're going to decentralize the whole thing. Like the, the, the thing I said is I came on Starknet for the tech, but I stayed for the vibes. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to like all the, like these weird idiosyncrasies that the community is gonna, is gonna come up with. Like there, there's this meme about like everyone being French, which is like honestly half true. <laughs> it's only 70% of the ecosystem at yeah, the point. Between, uh, between Israeli and French, like that's most of this, that's most of what we got here. Yeah. We had like three official languages, like Cairo, French and Hebrew. <laughs> English is only tolerated at this stage. <laughs> I mean, it's color coded already. <laughs> So that's what I'm, I'm looking and like all the cool technical stuff. And the one thing that I'm like really thinking about these days is when you get into like L3, L4 territory, it's more, okay, now that we have verifiability, um, what can we do that is different from a blockchain? Do you need blocks anymore? Can you just do like checkpoints that you send every hour? That's definitely something that we're looking for uh, on the gaming side, like do what is called, what I call like game channels. You play an entire, you could, we could play a game, a provable game, just the two of us sending each other Cairo programs and a prover in our browser. And just at the end of the part of the game, we just send something to the chain. And that's super cool. That's just like all this area of experimentation is what like, really drives me nuts. So, uh, if we've piqued the interest of any listener so far in this conversation, uh, where should they go? How do they get started getting sorted into the, the StarkNet world? So I think the best way for them to start is. Obviously, the doc, Hello Cairo, uh, really well written. Uh, the hits don't actually matter if you're reading the doc. <laughs> uh, then the next step should be Starklings, which is like a great tutorial that was built by the Only Dust team, which brings me to the third step, which is uh, start contributing to an open source projects on Only Dust. So these people, they're like, they're organizing all the open source contributions on Starknet, and it's actually a great way. Like to give you an idea, uh, you have people who are like, oh yeah, I would like to. Uh, drop my web two job to like work in web three and these people find like paid contributions, open source contributions for you to like ramp up on all these things, find a job. I mean I even my my brother in law is now working on Starknet, so that's how built I am. So I think they would say like hello Cairo, Starklings and then start contributing. Or maybe they got peaked by brick. Or maybe they just want to follow you on Twitter. Where should they go for that? Uh I'm a Sylv uh, CHV, S Y L V E C H V and it's Brick NFT. With a Q. Sylvia, thank you so much. Thank you much. Cheers. In this episode, I'm talking to Yoav Weiss, who is a security reacher at the Ethereum Foundation and has been leading the charge behind ERC-4337, which hopes to eventually turn into an EIP, which will become a part of core Ethereum. What does ERC-4337 do? It enables account abstraction on the Ethereum layer 1. StarkNet and other ZK rollups are going to be able to beat Ethereum Layer 1 to the punch when it comes to enabling account abstraction in smart contract wallets, which is good because then they can come back and teach the Ethereum Layer 1 about what needs to be built and how ERC-4337 needs to be constructed in order to have the best smart contract wallet experience possible. So this is the second of two account abstraction smart contract wallet related interviews, the first being Madi from Bravos. So I hope that these two interviews can really take you from zero to 60 about the world of smart contract wallets and how they will eventually come to dominate all of crypto 
starting with Starknet and ZK rollups, moving on to other layer twos, and then eventually to the Ethereum mainnet. I hope you enjoy this interview with Yoav. But first, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. Ignis Nation, once again, we are back in Tel Aviv, Israel, and I'm talking to Yoav Weiss, who taught me almost everything that I know about account abstraction. Yoav, how's it going, man? Going great, thank you. What brings you to uh, Starkware Sessions all the way out here in Tel Aviv? I actually live here. Oh, okay. So it's just down the street for you? Uh, yeah, it's uh, like uh, literally 20 minutes from here. <laughs> oh, that's super convenient. I am very jealous. Uh, it took me 12 hours to get here. Uh, so uh, what's going on as it relates to uh, just Starkware, Starknet, and what brought, brings you here specifically? Like what is going on here in this conference that really interests you? So I've been focused on account abstraction, as you know, and uh, Star- and uh, Starknet is uh, and Starknet has this embedded in the uh, embedded in their chain, so it's great and it's been great collaborating with them. It's um, so I'm here, so I'm here to talk to uh, to talk to people about it, uh, to help people to, uh, to help people understand it, to learn about it from people, to talk to wallets. There are many wallets here that are worth talking to. And so this is, as far as I can tell, really. The StarkNet is really where the account abstraction is actually coming into fruition. It is kind of a conversation of EIPs on the Ethereum layer one, but on StarkNet, it's actually being developed as teams. And we have the Argent team, we have the Bravos team. So what's it like watching a lot of this account abstraction theory turn into practice here on StarkNet? So, um, so I've been also involved in that. I'm not watching it from the sidelines and, uh, and Starknet, Starknet account abstraction is actually based on the same ideas as, uh, as ERC4337. It uses the same protection, uh, the same protection, uh, the same ways to decentralize, to decentralize things. So, uh, it just, it's just easier when it comes to a, when it, when we're, um, uh, when uh, building a new network, it's easier to build it into the network. So, you know, we started the ER, we started ER, the ERC in the form of an ERC and not an EIP because it's easier to standardize it across different networks. And then, uh, Starknet, Starknet has been the first network to actually put it into the, to put it uh, into the consensus. But I expect that the same will happen in other layer tools. And over time, we'll even get it to Ethereum, but this will take time, you know. Is there, so what is the frontier of account abstraction? The frontier of smart contract walls. What have you learned or what are you experiencing perhaps as a result of this conference specifically, but overall on Starknet? Like what's the new, what's the new thing in the world of account abstraction? So we see uh, different use cases. Uh, These use cases have been discussed before, but now they become more, uh, they become more feasible. And when it's done at the network level more, more efficiently, it, uh, it just, uh, it really opens up the design space. The design space has been there all along, but now, uh, but now that it can be done uh, more cheaply and efficiently, we're, we're starting to see it really happen. And, uh, can you just walk me again and the bankless listeners about the synergies between specifically a ZK rollup and account abstraction? Why, why is ZK rollup such an awesome fertile ground for account abstraction? I'm not sure it has to do with the fact that it's a ZK rollup. Uh, it could be done on a, it could be done on another rollup, but uh, the EVM the EVM rollups uh, try to stay uh, EVM equivalent initially, so it's harder to make uh, changes and deviate from the standard. And uh, in the case of uh, uh, and in the case of uh, Starkware, since it's not EVM uh, to begin with, it's easier to experiment. You don't have to uh, you don't have to obey any any past rules. 
Okay, so yeah, I want to pack, unpack that a little bit because I think that's a good way to, to learn something cool about the, the world of Ethereum and, and all of the, also its layer twos. Uh, both Op- Arbitrum and Optimism attempt to be EVM equivalent. And now if you want to be EVM equivalent, you have to follow like what is the EVM on the Ethereum layer one. And the Ethereum layer one is not account abstraction enabled because that's something that we're working on. And so perhaps why account abstraction and smart contract wallets like Bravos and Argent have have built like some actually like planted their feet in the world of Starknet is that Starknet never intended to be EVM equivalent. They always forked off and made Cairo or just like we're EVM uh perhaps not even compatible, just they, they were just a d- different EVM chain. And that's why they've been able to kind of leapfrog in the world of ZK, uh, of uh, account abstraction. Is all of that right? Yeah, it certainly made it certainly made it easier for them. But I think that uh, we'll see other layer tools, uh, other layer tools, the EVM equivalent layer tools. Uh, we see them as a, as a fertile ground for, uh, for innovation too. I expect that in the future, many EAPs, uh, many EAPs will be, ex- will be experimented with I mean, EIP is not in a, not as in ELCs, but actually uh, protocol changes. I think we'll see more and more experimentation on other EVM networks, and uh, it's um, it's quite likely that we'll see uh, that we'll see optimistic rollups also spinning up a separate rollup to experiment with uh, with protocol level account abstraction. How are the uh, the people that are working on smart contract walls and account abstraction? How are they leveraging you and your expertise here at the, at, at the uh, Starkware sessions? How are you helping with them? Like, what are the conversations like? Yeah, so I'm, uh, so I've been talking to them about uh, about use cases since uh, I've been thinking about uh, about account abstraction for a few years now, and I'm uh, and I'm talking about uh, how they could use uh, how they could use ELC four three three seven. There are some uh, there are some limitations during validation which are absolutely required in order to be able to decentralize it. So uh, so sometimes it's not trivial to work around these limitations. But that's a, but uh, so far we haven't encountered any use case that couldn't be solved uh, with some uh, creativity. So when I'm talking to uh, to all the developers, I often uh, find myself helping to design around these uh, constraints without sacrificing uh, censorship resistance. Do you think that um, because Starkware seems to be uh, or Starknet seems to be kind of ahead in the world of account abstraction? That a lot of this learnings here is going to be exported out to the rest of Ethereum. Is that kind of how you think it might go? Mm-hmm. Yes, I think uh, I think the wallets that are being developed, uh, the wallets that are being developed uh, for Starknet right now, mm-hmm. are going to uh, are going to show up on other networks uh, as we make it uh, as we make it more possible. And that's part of the reason why it's so important to standardize it so that we have feature parity. Because wallet developers uh, usually they don't have the resources to develop uh, to develop many different wallets. So we should try to standardize it at the chain level so that wallet developers can uh, can deploy their wallets everywhere. And so we, there are multiple wallets. I've, I've named a couple, Bravos and Argent, that are using smart contract wallets on StarkNet. And I'm assuming because there's already a, a growing ecosystem on StarkNet, we'll actually be able to learn from their learnings, and they're going to figure out what the best form factor for our account abstraction is on StarkNet. And because just the pace of iteration on Starknet so fast, that's actually how we're going to learn how to apply this to the rest of Ethereum. Is that a fair take? Yes, I think uh, I think experimenting through uh, actual products and actual users is the best way. We shouldn't do it in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. So uh, having uh, having Argent and Bravos and others uh, doing this is uh, absolutely essential essential for making it happen. Mm-hmm. They're also adding use cases that I th- that I. 
I've been advocating for uh, for a long time and are really difficult to do without uh, protocol level changes. For example, uh, Bravos is doing. Uh, uh, they they let you sign with uh, from the secure enclave of your phone, which is something that uh, we already saw an implementation back in uh, back in Bogota. One of the hackathon projects implemented this in Solidity and deployed it and deployed it on an EVM chain. But it's really expensive to do if you don't have support for it from the network. So I think that uh, we're going to see more of these use cases and uh, people will optimize them and we'll see them moving to uh, to other chains. So I've noticed I was at the um, the hacker house my first day here and a lot of uh, computer uh, people like I was watching developers uh, you know tinker around on their computers and instead of the metamask icon they have the argent icon in their in their top right as their extension and so do you think that actually being able to innovate at the smart contract wall level is that going to be the thing that actually is pretty disruptive to the metamask dominance across the rest of ethereum Yes, I think uh, I think uh, the move to account abstraction is uh, it's an opportunity for disruption in the wallet space that uh, could uh, could definitely benefit from uh, some disruption, some more uh, uh, some more uh, variety of uh, projects. But I think that uh, we'll also see MetaMask doing a lot of uh, interesting things in this space. Is MetaMask going to be doing account abstraction? Well, you should ask them. You know, they are here, but. Uh, but I believe that uh, I believe that we'll see some innovation in that space for MetaMask as well. Okay. Well, the competition is on. Uh, Yoav, what else is Why going? Why competition? <laughs> it's not. <laughs> oh, it's always it's, competition is always good for the user, right? Like we all, all of these people want to have like as much mind share as possible. Do you yeah. think like wallets might stratify into like different use cases, as in like maybe this isn't exactly right, but Bravos is the gaming uh, smart contract wallet and Argent is the DeFi smart contract wallet. Or does that not really make sense? Yeah, it does make sense because uh, with with account obstruction, you can make the wallet as simple as you like or as complex as you like, depending on, uh, for example, if you have a complex authorization needs or you need to you need to enforce certain policies, then you might want a more complex wallet. But as a new user, you just want the simplest possible wallet where you add your phone. You don't know what a private key is, mm-hmm. and you can move and uh, and you can just start using it. But what's more important is that with account obstruction, you'll be able to set the implementation. You, you'll be able to uh, to upgrade. So as a new user in, who doesn't know anything about crypto, you'll probably want to start with the easiest one to use. But maybe as you accumulate more value in the account, uh, now you have assets, you need to protect them, and you have better understanding. Now maybe you're going to upgrade it, and you're going to upgrade in place. You're not going to move your assets elsewhere. You're just going to switch from a very simple wallet to one that gives you more uh, more optionality. I really like the idea of a wallet, a smart contract wallet, can be as simple or as complex as anyone really wants it to be. But we're starting, of course, at the very beginning of this story because we're still so early in the world of account abstraction. What are the first use cases that you think are really going to be onboarded into into these smart contract wallets? Mm-hmm. So uh, we already see uh, things like uh, like social recovery that Argent has been doing for a long time. And uh, social recovery is often uh, misunderstood. It doesn't necessarily mean uh, that your friends are going to recover it for you. So, uh, it could be a, it could be a ledger device uh, in a bank vault that you're only going to use if you lost access. And uh, we're going to see some uh, we're going to see some use cases such as, for example, session keys is something that I really like. That uh, since you can have authorization, not just authentication, meaning that you can uh, that each key can be authorized to do certain things. It makes sense that, for example, you have an NFT in your, uh, you have an NFT that you want to use in a game, but you don't want uh, the game, you don't want the game uh, app to be able to transfer it. So you could have a key 
that's only a, that, a key that uh, the browser keeps, so you don't need to manually sign each transaction. But you only, but uh, so, but uh, the key can only interact with the game. And if you actually want to transfer your NFTs, that's a separate key, and it requires manual uh, signing. So we're going to see such uh, uh, such use cases as well. And, uh, but really, the possibilities are endless. I mean, I can uh, I can talk for hours about different use cases here. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'm kind of getting like this image of a smart contract wallet that really starts off as like a blank slate, but you can plug more and more stuff into it. Is there is it logical to think of there being like a plug-in store for your smart contract wallet? Is that like a, a coherent thought? Yes, that's something that uh, that's uh, we've been talking about. We didn't want to push it into the same uh, ERC. But I think uh, we will need an ELC for it to standardize the way plugins, uh, the way plugins work. And then you'll be able to get uh, plugins. Uh, the way I see it, the plugins should be associated with a certain uh, authentication, with a certain key. Yeah. So this, uh, and, and then uh, the session keys are actually just a sub uh, use case of this. It's, uh, it's just one plugin. And then you can have a plugin that allows, for example, performing trades. Uh, if you want to implement a more efficient DEX with an order book, you could, you could let it, you could authorize it to perform uh, trades without you actually signing it. But, uh, so, and there can be, there can be many such use cases. And each of these, I believe, should be a plugin. These plugins will not necessarily be written by the same person who wrote the account, you know, the, wrote the wallet. For example, uh, it's, for example, Uniswap could write a plugin that helps you do things on Uniswap and you could add it to uh, any of the wallets that support the standard. But this is, uh, this requires, uh, this requires some thinking. For example, uh, these wallets will all need to use uh, diamond storage. It's an EIP that, uh, that helps you, uh, uh, helps you make sure that different contracts uh, running in the same, in the same address space don't step on each other's toes. So I think that, and, and I've been advocating it to all, uh, telling them that they should be they should be using Diamond Storage from the start, so that later they can use such plugins. Will are will wallets always be in this like browser extension form factor, or do you think other like will access our wallet in a different way? Because like to me, the browser extension wallet is kind of annoying. Is that going to be the future, or there's going to be something else in the way that we engage our smart contract wallets? Do you have any oh, thoughts think, on this? Uh, uh, I think it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a browser extension. And I like, I like having mobile apps uh, do a, do this kind of, uh, uh, this kind of work. And uh, I think it should be, an, and it can be done for the browser. It can be done even from a, from an app running on your PC or your Mac. But, uh, I think, but I think it's important, it's important not to, not to lock yourself into a mobile app, for example, because, uh, since, uh, I really, uh, I really hate uh, censorship. And I think that uh, both uh, Apple, both Apple and Google, uh, have a permission system where uh, if you want to, where uh, they could eliminate they could eliminate the wallet from their app store if they want to so i think you should have a way to recover from it and to switch to a new implementation so at the very least you should be able to do this from your browser amazing you have i know you're always like head into the world of account abstraction but what in addition to account abstraction have you been paying attention to lately sorry what in addition to account abstraction have you been paying attention to lately mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm a, so I'm a security researcher, and I've been um, I've been working on other uh, on other security related projects, and also uh, and I also care a lot about uh, censorship resistance in Ethereum in general. So I'm uh, so I'm thinking a lot about uh, PBS, about about proposal build separation, and about uh, inclusion list. And the whole thing is going to come uh, to come uh, together at some point because uh, with account abstraction, we'll also need to have inclusion list, and it's much more complicated to do uh, in this context. We won't get into all the complexities right now, but it's uh, so there are some uh, there's some interplay between uh, between these uh, topics. 
you know, if, if uh, listeners have gotten their interest peaked about the conversation that we've just had and they want to learn more, where do you recommend for them to go? Any, any resources that they might uh, should be pointed to? Mm-hmm. So uh, we, are, we are building a website for ERC4237, but it's not up yet. And uh, they can also follow me on Twitter. I uh, occasionally tweet about uh, tweet about some ideas. We have some Telegram groups where uh, we have some Telegram groups where there are uh, very active discussions about accounts abstraction. Yo, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Cheers. Yeah.